Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all of the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 44. Welcome back, everybody. How was your week? Same same as it ever was. Same as a tough <laughs> of loss. Um, How was your week? It was, you know, fine. It was fine. <laughs> we were fine. I do good. have a correction, though, from last week. I want to just go ahead and get that off my chest. Oh, my gosh. Have but you been, been stewing on it? Dying all week, yes. Um, I feel <laughs> so bad. I can't believe I didn't catch it until I listened to the episode. I said, oh, our good friends, Libby... Wyatt and Nathan Owens are getting married. Okay, Libby Wyatt, wonderful person. Uh Uh, She does great hair. Just had a baby. She's gorgeous. Baby's gorgeous. Not the same Libby. The (laughs) Libby, I meant to say, was Libby Reddit, Uh um, who's also wonderful human being. Gorgeous. Beautiful. No baby yet. I don't don't think she does hair. Except for her own, which looks great. It does. Great thing. Also, not going to be Libby Reddit when this I, comes out. I know. So t- t- it's Friday today. We're recording for Monday. They're getting married tomorrow. So they are getting married. I said that they were yes. po- postponing, but they're not. They're not. So. I think they're going to postpone like the celebration, but the two of them are are getting married. They're That's still getting married. And so great. I'm so excited for them. They're like the cutest couple in the world. And I really hope they send us a picture that I we know. can post. Definitely. I know. <laughs> Love them. So excited for them. Sorry about the mishap. Ugh, go, Jen. Go get them. Hey, <laughs> go get Nathan owes me one, actually, I because I'm just now remembering that we did this family-friendly Christmas uh-huh. show together. Oh, it was like a sounds awesome. Stand-up comedy show. There were children present, including mine. Uh-huh. And Nathan starts his set by saying, I remember when I found out that Santa Claus wasn't real. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> and like every kid, everybody was like earmuffing their kid, earmuffing their kids, and then <laughs> like Nathan. But luckily, my kids like it went right over their head. They didn't even hear it. Didn't nothing happened. They didn't care at all. But it was so funny because he felt so terrible. Yeah, he kept apologizing, kept apologizing, but it's fine, Nathan. They didn't even hear you, which just goes to show that nobody was listening to any of our sets. So, (laughs) and nobody ever is. (laughs) They're never listening. Should we get into our quickies? Yeah, let's do it. I think I go first. Okay. So, guess what I have today, Jen? A Corona quickie? A write-in quickie? Oh, a write-in! Yay! I love write-ins. I know. You, too, could have your words read back to you (laughs) if you wrote us at dumblovepod at gmail.com. This one today is from my friend Bob, who is married to my best friend Grace, who I've talked about many times on the podcast. Bob recently started working as a donation coordinator at an organ, eye, and tissue procurement organization. So they work to get tissue donations, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. And he has done a million different jobs. Like he has started schools. He's he's worked on a ranch. He's been a gifts officer. I mean, he's done so much in his 
life and his career. He's so talented. But this is like one of those things where he decided to go after this job and you were like, oh, that makes so much sense because he's so personable and he's so kind and he's the exact person you would want to talk to you about getting organs from your loved one after they have died. You know what I mean? He is like uh-huh. the perfect person to do this job. So um, so he he works with families who have lost a loved one to kind of authorize the gifts of organ and tissue donation. So, okay. so he sent me this story and he says, he said, this is a story of Jim and Jane Smith, fictional names for anonymity, obviously can't say exactly their names. Um, so last month, Jane Smith at age of 78 collapsed and went into cardiac arrest while at home. She was rushed to the ER by her loving husband, Jim, but unfortunately, she passed in the ER at 8 p.m. The hospital called into the donor services department to report the death of Jane, who was registered on the state's organ and tissue donor list. And when the nurse from the hospital called, they said Jim was at her bedside. He was brokenhearted and having trouble leaving James' bed. So the nurse suggested to give him a few hours before calling about donation. So about three hours later, Bob picked up the phone to call Jim to discuss Jane's wishes and to begin the process of final authorization, transportation, and recovery. Bob dialed the home phone number, which eventually went to voicemail. And then less than 30 minutes later, a different hospital called in with another death, a male 80 years old named Jim Smith who was picked up at home and brought in by an ambulance and coded on the way to the hospital. And the time of death was 11 p.m. So just three hours later, Jim joined Jane, not knowing how he would live his life without his beloved wife. Over 50 years of marriage and a lifetime of love and partnership, Jane and Jim both signed up on, on the donor registry and were brought in that night to the OPO, which is the organ transplant, In a final act of love and generosity, they both donated life-saving gifts to deserving recipients in need. And Bob says, be like Jim and Jane, heroes in love and donation. And and he asks that you please sign your state's donor registry because Patty Ann, who's Bob's mom, always said, don't take them to heaven. Heaven knows we need them here. It's true. Yeah. So he sent me this. And then just last week, he was like, hey, I have something else for you about that story. And so actually, a couple of days after he wrote that story for me, his sister, Maggie, sent him sent him a picture, just like out of the blue, sent him a picture of a car that had a bumper sticker on it that said, don't take your organs to heaven. Heaven knows we need them here. And he was like, I just wrote that about a couple. And he felt like it was a sign from his mom who had passed away several years ago. And so he was like, and then so my mom saying hi and saying, he's like, I felt like it was my mom saying hi. So. Oh, wow. um, But yeah. Right. So he said that was, he was like, it's a tale of love, heartbreak, literally generosity with a public service announcement. So that is my quickie and hi to Patty Ann. Love that. And hi to Bob. Hi guys. Thank you. Thank you for sending that in. Oh my gosh. I love that. That's so important. Yeah. And heartwarming. I hate to drag it down with my dumb quickie. <laughs> Everybody take a breather. Ooh. Separate in your mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's All right. hear what you have to tell us. <laughs> okay. So are my- you doing a Corona themed quickie? It is. It's actually both a Corona and an Easter. Quickie. Jen. <laughs> You know, I love my themes. You love a theme. Okay. I got my news from several articles, including unilad.co.uk, the New York Post, clickorlando.com, my personal favorite. (laughs) 
okay. Uh, 42-year-old April, this is not April, April, uh, Sestoni, this past Thursday, decided to go around and spread some Easter cheer in her neighborhood for this Mm. holiday season. You know, we're all without social connection. We all need Uh a little love. So she thought she would pass some joy around to her neighbors. So she decided to place some Easter eggs, some plastic Easter eggs in the mailboxes of about 400 different addresses. Okay. So she was she was going to it was she was doing it back and forth on her way to work. She would go to work, drop off some eggs, go to work, and then um, on the way home, drop off more eggs. All in all, about four hundred between Monday and Thursday. Okay. Um, so, so so far, I'm like, great, good, good for her. I love people out there doing a good thing, trying to spread some cheer. But now I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. So. You can imagine her surprise and shock when she was arrested for this uh-huh. good deed that she was doing. Not only was she arrested because she could have been um, spreading coronavirus to uh-huh. everyone, but people didn't like the contents of what were inside the Easter eggs. Um, what was so it? inside the Easter eggs, if you opened one up, you would find um, a fish-shaped cracker, which I'm assuming is goldfish, and they just can't uh-huh. say that. Uh, so a fish-shaped cracker, or maybe they could <laughs> it was no, not confirm nor deny that it was a goldfish <laughs> cracker. Um, so you would find a fish-shaped cracker, a sheet of toilet paper, powdered drink mix, Skittles, and a piece of paper containing pornographic images. <laughs> of her? Um, it just says pornographic image. I think she was like printing them out on her computer and putting them in there. She is this crazy person. Yes. So she is definitely uh, a sick individual. Um, so apparently she was saying that she is, when they arrested her, she was telling the police that she uh, believes herself to be a quote unquote church and that she had a business license for being a church. And so she was delivering the truth to everyone. So her truth were these Easter eggs filled uh-huh. with fish-shaped crackers and drink mix and porn. So uh, they did put an end to it. They did stop her. Not only was she, she is she facing eleven counts of distributing obscene material. And for violating the stay-at-home order, but what's more is she was driving with a suspended license. Oh, man. What's her name? Her name is Abril uh, or Abril, A-B-R-I-L. And uh, Uh. I – Oh, Abril. Yeah. Oh, Abril. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Abril. Sestroni. Yeah. And she's 42. And there's a picture of her and I will post it. And I have to so young. I she don't look forty two. Time has she not looked been, like she maybe had a heart. Well, when you're yeah. when you are a church, when you are really a church, on you. a lot of stress. Yes, it's a lot of stress. Have you ever been a church, Jen? I've never been a church. I've been to church, but I've never been a church. But yeah, also stuffing we'll four hundred Easter eggs with that's, drink mix. I mean, that's a lot. That's hard to get in the there. Time. Who has who has the, the time? time? And she was going back and forth to work. 
mean, yeah. Also, you're like, where does this crazy person work? Publix. Publix grocery oh. store employee. So she's on the front lines. Cool. Let's give Super her a break. Cool. <laughs> so that's my quick. That was a really good one. All right. Hey, Jen. All right. Hey, Sally. Are you ready for my crazy story? Yes. Awesome. Is it crazier wow. than the one I just told? I don't crazy I don't in know. a different way. Crazy in different a different crazy. crazy in a way that someone dies <laughs> in oh. that way. <laughs> I know, sorry. Okay. Oh, now I made it sad. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to go I'm going old school for this one. Like okay. I I'm going back to snapped. I okay. Think this actually might be This is one of the first episodes of Snapped I ever remember watching with Ben. And it stuck out to us because the story takes place in Morgantown, West Virginia. And that is where we were living at the time. We actually lived in Morgantown for five years because Ben worked. Of course you did. Why wouldn't you? You've lived in every <laughs> weird town in America and actually yeah. all over the world. <laughs> Give me one. I've been there. Um <laughs> No, we lived there for uh, 2010 to 2015 because Ben worked. He was a professor at West Virginia University. And in the state of West Virginia, like WVU football is life. Like it is so huge. And I think why part of why this story was so big at the time is because at the center of it is a woman named Michelle Michael, who was a West Virginia University cheerleader, which, as oh. you can imagine, is a huge deal, right? Yeah. So, okay. So Michelle, or Shelly, as she liked to be called, uh, grew up in Clarksburg, West Virginia, which is just the town that's a little bit south of Morgantown. And Shelly was like, a, she was a high achiever. She got straight A's in school. And when she graduated from high school, she was voted most likely to succeed. And she easily got into WVU uh, and started in 1990. Her first year, she got a spot on the Mountaineers cheerleading squad. So she was like the shit. Yeah. Yeah. So in the summer of 1992, before her junior year, Shelly started dating a guy named Bruce Atkins. And pretty quickly after they started dating, she got pregnant. And neither of them wanted to get there married. There goes your cheerleading career. Uh, right? Actually, yeah. she didn't stop cheerleading. She So she Hell had yeah. the baby. She I had the baby being, on her own. You know. Oh. <laughs> You were just um, thinking of the squad. You're like, nobody needs a Prego cheerleader. <laughs> <laughs> but remember, this was the 90s, so they were wearing like big baggy sweaters <laughs> so she could hide, she could hide it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she she had the baby on her own. I mean, her the Bruce helped, but he they weren't together. But her mom would come every week and watch the baby, Alec, so that she could keep going to school and keep cheerleading. And and pretty soon after she had Alec, who's a little baby boy, she started dating a new guy. His name was Rob Angus. And Rob was like, he was great with baby Alec. And even though Shelly wasn't super into Rob, the two ended up getting he had engaged. had a lot of money. Well, she Just thought kidding. it was like, he was actually a student too, but she thought it was the best thing for her son, right? Oh, okay. I was this guy who's again. Very, I, I was being an asshole. I was just being an asshole. Okay. Oh no, you can be an asshole about okay, this go woman. Ahead. That would. Um, okay. She. You can. You can totally be an asshole about her. She. Her family, like even before the wedding, was like, "You shouldn't marry this guy. You don't love him." But 
they didn't, they got married in 1995 in a Catholic church in her hometown of Clarksburg. Their marriage wasn't great. Shelly was super intense. She was very selfish and Rob knew how to push her buttons. But they, you know, they settled into it. Uh, Rob got a job and she- while Shelly finished up school and Rob actually adopted Alec with the father's consent. Like the father was like, you guys are married. He obviously has a good relationship. This is the best for- thing for everybody. Yeah. And then the next year, Shelly got pregnant and gave birth to a daughter. And then after seven years of college in 1997, Shelly graduated with a degree in nursing and she got a job at Ruby Memorial Hospital in Morgantown. Uh, She worked in the pediatric intensive care unit. And some of her coworkers said she was a show off, she was attention seeking, and she was constantly hitting on any man in the ward. So... Sounds real cool. <laughs> this I, respiratory, always, I, you know how I feel about all of the. I I love snaps and all that stuff, but I they're always like really driving home that these women were just their desires and their needs for attention, I know. And lust, lust. This actually desire. wasn't. This wasn't from the snap. So I actually I should oh, say okay. I never mind. Um, no, no, no. I mean the snap did did paint her that way as well. Yeah. But so I also got a lot of, I actually, this, have you ever listened to the the podcast, Southern Fried True Crime? It's so funny you said that because I was just, I just saw that podcast, like, and I thought to myself, oh, I should give this a listen, but I hadn't yet. It's great. It's, um, it's like the antithesis of our podcast because it's one woman and she's uh, very well researched. And she's, okay. <laughs> uh, she's so soothing. She has this like really soft, like methodical, cute Southern twang. But then every mm. once in a while, she'll call somebody a bitch and it's really, it's really great. I, she might be out of Atlanta. I'm not sure. Alabama or, or Atlanta. I'm not sure. One of those A, A places. But anyway, so I listened. She did a two-part episode on this. I I listened to that, and that was really – she had so much information. Listen to that to dig deeper into the story. There's so much that I couldn't cover. Um, And then there's even more in this book called Shelly Michael Playing with Fire uh, by author John Glatt. And that is like – had tons of like first person interviews and so she really was really a bitch is what you're trying to say. I'm saying she really she was, was a, a bitch. A dumb, I'm saying dumb bitch. She was a dumb bitch. I'm also saying that <laughs> snapped is not great for women, but in this case deserved. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Okay. So I mean, one of the reasons she did prove herself to be flirting with men on the ward, like uh, this respiratory therapist named uh, Stephanie Etzel, who worked with Shelley, was like, sh- found her particularly annoying. She talked on the 48 hour show. I also got watched a 48 hours about it. She talked on 48 hours about how Shelley would walk down the halls and do like, like turn around and look at people and then give a wink and do a big high kick. And she was like, it was just Oh so my annoying. God. She is <laughs> like, dumb. Yeah. And Shelly and Stephanie actually had good reason to hate Shelly because one of the men that Shelly flirted with was Stephanie's husband, Jimmy Michael. Uh. Um, yeah. So Jimmy and Stephanie were married. They'd also, they also had two kids. Jimmy Michael grew up also near Morgantown in a smaller town. He was smart. He was ambitious, but he was kind of this short, stocky guy. His name, nickname when he played high school football was Chunk. Uh, but he like he he kind of loved it. He was like a good. He had a good sense of humor. He was really popular, mm-hmm. and people just naturally liked him. And Jimmy and Stephanie had met at work 
Jimmy was also a respiratory therapist. And like Shelly and Rob, they had gotten married young, had kids quickly, but were like immediately unhappy in their relationship. Stephanie and Jimmy fought all the time. They had actually ended up separating uh, for about five months, but had reconciled and renewed their vows and moved back in together when Shelly started on the unit. So that's kind of where their marriage stood, not on the firmest ground. Jimmy and Shelly started working the same weekend shifts. And by Christmas of 1998, they were having a full-on affair. Uh, And friends and coworkers said that Shelly pursued Jimmy relentlessly. They said she saw that he was ambitious and her husband worked for the Parks and Rec's division of Morgantown and that he was kind of just a a nice guy, you know what I mean? But it it was not ambitious at all. And so she saw this, she saw Jimmy as like a step up. So both of the couples, Jimmy and Stephanie and Shelly and Rob both ended up getting divorced. And just months later in 2000, Jimmy and Shelly, who were at that time only both 28 years old, got married and Shelly moved into Jimmy's house. So friends of Jimmy's started to notice a disconnect between the way the couple presented themselves in public as this like happy, perfect family, the four children kind of Brady Bunch together, this, you know, former cheerleader and popular football player, and then how they acted in private. They said that Jimmy had a temper and that Shelly was controlling. They said that she was overly strict with the children to the point of bullying, especially with Jimmy's son, Drew. And I know it's really sad. And Shelly, Stephanie, and Jimmy actually all still work together at Ruby Memorial. And Shelly was like a real bitch about the whole thing. She like rubbed it in Stephanie's face that she was now married to her ex-husband. She would tell her at work, like, I'm going to get custody of all of the kids. (gasps) I would murder. Oh, I know. And so she cut off communication, Jimmy's communication with Stephanie. And she was like, you can only communicate with Jimmy through me. So she made Stephanie, if she wanted to talk about her own kids with this kid's father, go through her. Can you, Mm -hmm. can you even imagine? So Shelly, felt the need to control every aspect of her own life. She controlled her family. She controlled her job. She controlled her appearance. But as the years went on, that tight control just started to kind of like wear at the edges. People were no longer fooled by her. And kind of the general consensus was that she was fake as hell. (laughs) Um, So in July of 2003, she got suspended for her job for insubordination. She had requested a two-week vacation and was denied it, and then she went anyway. What a bitch. What a bee. I know. And then she punched out her (gasps) newly out-of-the-closet sister's girlfriend at a baptism. What? She was trying to tightly control her whole self and then it's like she couldn't do it anymore and she just started acting out in all these different ways. And actually a few weeks after she punched her sister's girlfriend, Jimmy gets a box in the mail and it had one of Shelly's sweaters in it and it had a note that said, keep your whore wife away from my husband. Oh my God. Yeah. And so Jenny, Jimmy confronted Shelly about it and she was like, I don't know where that came from. I don't know who that is. Like totally denied Meanwhile, anything. Meanwhile, on the inside of the sweater, it says like, 
if lost, please return to Shelly. Right. Yeah, she was like, this is not mine. Somebody's confused. I and know. I don't think they ever knew. It's a puppy paint who- sweater that just says her name right across it. <laughs> Property kids of. Hands, handprints. <laughs> I don't know. But Jimmy decided to believe her. Like, whether he really did or not, he was like, I'm – he was very religious. And so getting divorced – he, you know, he had right. already been divorced once. He's like, this is yeah, because he's so religious. I know it's that's. I love that they're I like, know. well, because because part of why she punched I already had her, an affair once, and I'm a religious yes. man. Yep. So I can't do it again because how will it look? You know. By 2004, the couple was, despite their like marital problems, they were doing pretty well for themselves career wise. Jimmy had left his job as a respiratory therapist and had started a business that supplied medical equipment. Mm-hmm. And it turned out, you know, like he, with this big personality and his medical knowledge, it was kind of a perfect fit for him. Like the business was small, but it was becoming successful. People really liked him and they trusted him. And he even he hired someone to work with him, a man named Bobby Teets. And Shelly, meanwhile, had gone back to school and had become a nurse practitioner. So they were doing pretty well, but in then in September of 2005, Shelly got suspended from work again. And right around that time, Jimmy told his pastor that he suspected that Shelly was cheating on him. And oh. he also hated that Shelly, who for a period of time had gotten really into Catholicism because Jimmy was – had stopped going to church. And so it was like another part of her, everybody was like, she only time, the only reason she ever went was because she wanted people to think she was religious. Like she was never religious. She just wanted that, that, yeah, she wanted that appearance. So it was like another part of this perfect facade she had kind of let go in the past few years. And so then on November 29th, 2005, the Michaels were home alone. Both of the sets of kids were at their exes. And Shelly went into work at her usual time around 6 a.m. And Jimmy was still in bed, but then Jimmy didn't show up for work and it wasn't like him. So the secretary at his office started calling, but he didn't answer. And so she called Bobby Teets, who worked for him, who was out on a delivery to go check on him. But by the time Bobby got there, the house was engulfed in flames and firefighters (gasps) were at the house. And Bobby saw Jimmy's car in the driveway and got hysterical. And he's yelling to the police, Jimmy's still in the house. And he was so upset that they actually had to put him in the back of a police cruiser because he was hysterical. So from the police cruiser at 10.35 a.m., Bobby tried to call Shelly, but he couldn't get a hold of her. So then he called his wife. He told her what was happening. And his wife, Kelly, called the hospital until she could finally get a hold of Shelly. After getting off the phone, Shelly calmly told the pediatric clerk that her house was on fire and she had to leave. And the clerk watched her go to her office where she called Jimmy and left a message saying, they just, I just got a call saying our house is on fire. And then finally, after several minutes, left the hospital. The clerk said she didn't seem to be in any kind of hurry. Wow. So after about a half an hour, when the firefighters finally got the blaze under control, they found Jimmy dead in the master bedroom, still lying in the bed. So at the scene, the police noticed that Shelly was cold and unemotional. And of course, like everybody grieves in different ways. But when Jimmy's friend Carrie got there, she rushed rushed over to Shelly and Shelly's first words were, I like your outfit. And then 
another friend asked, like, Shelly, can I get you anything? And Shelly said sarcastically, yeah, a new husband. Oh, my God. I know. Can you Can you even? It's like, I, it could be shock, right? Yeah. No. No. Okay. I mean, <laughs> oh it's not. But wow. it could be. So the firefighters knew right away that there was something suspicious about the fire. Investigators from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives and the Morgantown Fire Department said that the fire was they, – they could determine that it was deliberately set on or around the bed where Jimmy was found and that they could tell because of the way the fire burned that an accelerant was used. Uh-huh. And the lead detective said that the investigators suspected murder – from the minute they saw his body because it looked like he was still asleep. He said it was like no uh, fire damage I've ever seen on the body. It was very bizarre because this is graphic, but like intense heat normally causes muscles to contract. Like he was lying completely right. flat on the bed. He was thirty, a healthy 33-year-old man and he had made no effort to escape. He was like right. basically the house was pretty much sal- salvageable. Like other than some water and smoke damage, like it wasn't like – the floors were falling through. You know, right. he he could have he could have left if he would have been able to. And then the medical examiner eventually confirmed that there was no soot in Jimmy's nose or lungs, so they could tell that he was dead before the fire was set. So at Jimmy's funeral, Shelley continued her cold and dramatic behavior. And actually, at one point, Jimmy's son Drew, who was now twelve was kind of draped across the casket. He was crying and he was talking to his dad. And Shelly got, I know, he got, got Shelly got angry because Drew was getting attention. And so she then like demanded everyone leave the room so that she could have time alone with her husband because she was so upset. But even though up until this point, no one had seen her cry a single tear. Oh my God. What a fuck. Yeah. Now nah, she is a bitch. Yeah. She's a bitch. All right. I think you owe snapped an apology, Jen. I'm sorry, snapped. <laughs> I just, you know, I got upset. I. <laughs> you said things. You lashed I said out. said things that I didn't mean. <laughs> I didn't think them through. I'm sorry. It's just a stressful time right now, snapped. <laughs> what a bitch. What a bitch. So the day after the memorial service, they set up interviews. Uh, the police set up interviews. And as they during their investigation, they had started hearing rumors about Shelley's history of infidelity. And it turns out that Jimmy was right when he suspected she was having an affair right before he died. And it turns out she was having an affair with none other than his employee, Bobby Teets. So Bobby Teets. Bobby Teets. Bobby Bobby Teets. Which is 100% what I'm calling your brother from now on. Bobby Teets. Bobby Teets. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've been getting my kids to call him (laughs) Uncle Baby Bobby. (laughs) (laughs) So, Bobby, I know you listen every week. You have a choice. You choose. Do you want... Bobby Teets or do Bobby you want Uncle Baby Bobby? <laughs> <laughs> we we for a while we're having Max call my brother Uncle Birthday because they Aww. share the same birthday, but it didn't stick. Maybe I'll try to bring it back. Bring it back, Baby Bobby, Baby Bobby Teets, Uncle Baby Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry. Uh, go okay. go on. Okay, so police brought in Bobby, and and he admitted the affair, but he had an alibi. And so then they questioned Jimmy's ex-wife, Stephanie, 
And for obvious reasons, I think there had always been tension between them. Right. And they had recently had a very heated argument over Jimmy's treatment of his son, Drew. He had actually, Drew had insulted Shelly and Jimmy had hit him with a belt to the point where he was like, the kid was bruised. And so Drew had told his mom and his stepdad what had happened. And actually, Jimmy had been very remorseful. He had come back to like come over and apologized. And and Shelly said she actually really believed that he regretted it. It was a horrible thing, but that they were trying to like work through it and figure out what to do, the best thing to do for their son. So mm-hmm. for her part, Shelly also pointed the finger at Stephanie. She actually said in an interview, she said, I know there's one person that gave him a lot of trouble all the time, constantly made him miserable. But of course, investigators keep coming back to Shelly. Right. The only problem was Shelly also had an alibi. She was at work. So security cameras showed that she did get there at 615 And then the only time she left before being called about the fire at 10.30 was between 8.10 and 8.28 a.m. So Shelly told police that she had forgotten her pager in her truck and had gone out to get it. And then she said she had never left the hospital grounds. However, a neighbor who had had already told the police that she saw Shelly pull out of her own driveway at 8.20 a.m., and the couple live just five minutes from the hospital. Oh. And so police found surveillance footage of Shelly leaving the parking lot and then returning to the hospital 17 minutes later with an um, holding up an umbrella to try to cover her face as she got back into the hospital. What? And then, yeah. And so police confronted her with this and she said, well, yeah, I mean, I did. I told you I left, but I did go run a quick errand, but I was back two hours before the fire. So pretending it was raining outside. Right. Yes. You when police ask play pretend it's raining outside. You don't <laughs> you don't ever play like hide your face from the paparazzi. Like I just always feel like there might be cameras. Oh my God. So police asked her about the affair with Bobby and she denied it and she actually had no idea that Bobby had already confessed to the affair. So in February of 2006, three months after the murder, the toxicology results came back and it turned out that Jimmy had died of a lethal dose of a drug called rocuronium, which was readily available for nurses. It's actually used to paralyze muscles uh, (gasps) during surgery. (sighs) But when patients are given it, they're always on a ventilator because if they aren't, then they won't be able to breathe because it oh paralyzes. Oh my God, that sounds like the most horrific way to die. Yes. So it would be a slow paralyzation and eventual <gasps> suffocation. Ugh. And police actually weren't surprised by this, by these results because before they even did the test, two of Shelly's co-workers had come to police and suggested that this was the drug that she might have used to poison her husband. Holy shit. Isn't that crazy? Like they're both yes. like, I'm pretty sure she did it with this. Like, so please actually in her Lisa Frank. Right. <laughs> she hearts around it. She just Rock kept writing note. the <laughs> name of the drug over and over and I know. over. So police believe that what happened was that Shelly injected Jimmy with a drug, watched him die over 13 slow minutes, showered, did her hair and makeup, and set an iron on the bed to try to start a fire and went to work. And then she waited there for two hours for a call about the fire. But when it didn't come, they think it 
8 a.m., she got tired of waiting, went home, poured accelerant on the bed, lit a match, shut the door, and walked out of her house. Oh, my God. So on March 10th, 2006, Shelly Michael was charged with first-degree murder and arson. Okay, so before Shelly's trial began, she was allowed out on bail, but was ordered to home confinement by the court. By now, like, the case was all over the news in Morgantown. This is, of course, this is a formal former WVU cheerleader who was accused of murdering her husband. And, you know, it's not a tiny town, but it's small enough that this was a huge deal. But despite the court order, people started seeing Shelly around town. And at one point, she was actually caught getting her nails done. And so a month before the trial, the judge put her back in jail and then moved the trial 150 miles south to Charleston, West Virginia, because of all of the publicity. So they thought a jury in Morgantown couldn't, there's no way that they could be impartial. Okay, so at the trial, the defense pointed out that prosecutors actually had no direct evidence linking Shelley to any physical aspect of the crime. Her defense was that there's no way she could have left work ignited a fire and returned in 17 minutes and rigged it that somehow it wouldn't ignite till two hours later. Her attorney said, the defense is able to contend that the murderer and the arsonist are one and the same person. And we know without a doubt that this young lady is not the arsonist. So it's our position. She is also not the murderer. And so to sort it all out, the police called in the arson experts and they built six exact replicas of Jimmy and Shelly's bedroom, like down to the mattress, the carpet, the paint, wow. and they set them on fire. In the, several of the tasks, the bedroom erupts into flames after smoldering for two hours and 12 minutes. Wow. So they actually showed that because the doors were shut, it like there was no oxygen, so it took a long time for it to actually ignite. So the defense also said that the affair was not a motive. Her defense attorney said, she has had affairs and run around on other men previously. She's divorced previously. She's taken advantage of her relationships with men in the past and has never harmed any of them. Which is- We all know she sucks. <laughs> yeah, we all know she Why sucks. Why would she suck any worse than she already sucks? <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I mean, look at her. She's a piece of shit. Just look at her. Look at her stupid face. <laughs> Why would she murder someone? Why would she murder someone? She's gonna... Oh, my God. It's like, she's a piece of shit, but not that kind of piece of shit. <laughs> right? Shelly, would you say you're a piece of shit? Admit it. You're a piece of shit. Oh, my God. Um, when police were like, yeah, we're not saying the affair is the motive. We're saying it's the half million dollar life insurance policy that Jimmy had recently bought. And Shelly was like, but that was for the children, even though I'm the beneficiary. So, of course, right. The defense was like now kind of out of options. And so in a risky move, they decided to let Shelly take the stand. And it did not go well. So a juror afterwards, yeah, a juror afterwards said, you know, throughout the trial, she was starting to feel like Shelly was guilty. But when she took the stand, she said, I was just hoping she would say anything to show that she was innocent. But instead, she just got on the stand and lied to them too. And the juror said that it was actually Shelly that convinced the jury of her guilt. So she's like, she's the one who sealed her own fate. And so then in in kind of a last-ditch effort to plant doubt, the defense in their closing argument suggested that 
perhaps no one was guilty. Like, perhaps it isn't even a murder. He said, maybe Jimmy killed himself and made it look like a murder so his wife and family would get the insurance money. He said he knows what that drug does. He's a respiratory therapist. He knows it's going to give him a little bit of time to start a fire. It won't even look like suicide. This evidence alone is all the reasonable doubt you ever need in a case like this. And, of course, Jimmy's family was horrified. Yeah. And uh, and the jury didn't buy it. So after eight days of testimony, the judge gave the case to the jury. And after a day and a half, jurors reached a unanimous verdict. They said guilty with a recommendation of mercy. And they also found her guilty on the arson charge. So the murder conviction alone carries an automatic life sentence. And with mercy only means that parole is theoretically possible. Mm -hmm. But the jury actually said that they gave her mercy because they thought it would be more of a punishment for her to be in jail and have a glimmer of hope that she might someday get out rather than being able to accept her fate and just kind of wither away. They thought that it might actually make her for one time in her life work at being a better person. and Which I thought was kind of a twisted... Yeah. So her children are now living with her ex-husband and he will not let them visit their mother. She is in jail and she'll be eligible for parole for the first time in 2027 and she'll be 55 years old. So Wow. I hope there you go. She doesn't get paroled because that's still young enough to like live another life, you know? It's yeah. I I feel like she's not gonna. I feel like she's not gonna. Yeah. Well, but we'll We'll rediscuss that. We'll rediscuss 20. in 2027. Yeah, when we're still doing this podcast. <laughs> it's actually not that far away. It's not that seven far away. Years and from now. Yeah. If we're being honest, I hope we're still doing this podcast in seven Me years. Me too. Me yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. Well, man, that's crazy, though. She sounds Isn't terrible. Crazy? You were right. She does sound terrible. Okay. Oh, yeah, well, now yeah. you tell me something nice. That's a crazy one. Okay. It's a crazy yes. one. Hey, dum dums. What are you doing April 24th? Nothing? Awesome, because we are having a comedy show. Join us via Zoom on April 24th for our very first Dumb Love comedy show. We'll have all of the details on next week's show, but make sure you mark your calendar and join us and all of our funny friends for some Dumb Love quarantine comedy. Hey, Sally. Yes, Jen? Would you like a love story? You know I want a love story. Okay. It's the only reason I tell the crazy stories. (laughs) So at the end, I can get a nice love story. Well, I've got one for you. This is a really cute – this is actually a corona love story. Already – see, already love stories are happening. We're already getting (laughs) love stories. Um, People Magazine has this like show now called People Now. It's just these quick little snippet videos you could watch on their website. And an article for Time written by Raisa Bruner. And then there's this really, really great website that you would love it, Sally. It's called MyModernMet.com. Uh-huh. And this was written by Sarah Barnes. But MyModernMet.com is like a website all full of like happy news. Right after the quarantine happened, like right after. Jeremy Cohen, who is a freelance photographer, he usually shoots for events like music festivals and stuff, which sounds like a really fun gig. That uh, does sound like a really fun job. Yeah. He he's was probably going cool- a little crazy in this quarantine. Well, he's making the most of it, and I'll tell you why. But he was quarantined in his apartment in uh, Bushwick, which is in Brooklyn, New York. 
Mm-hmm. Sally, you may been there. know of it. I do know um, of it. I, I know so. of every comic that lives there. <laughs> I know all my friends live in Bushwick. So he did have a roommate, but his roommate actually left to go be with his family. So he found himself all alone in his apartment quarantining. And it was on a particularly particularly warm day where he could see out out of his window, he could see people on their rooftops all trying to get out of their apartments, get fresh air, get exercise. Being a photographer, it just kind of sparked his interest seeing the different ways that people are handling the quarantine. And he started to shoot pictures of it. And they're really cool pictures. And actually, one of them actually made it onto the cover of New Yorker magazine. So that's pretty cool. Um, That's pretty cool. So yeah, so you'll you guys will have to like look him up after this and look at all of his pictures. But while he was taking pictures, he noticed a young woman on her roof across the building across from him, twenty three year old Tori Cognarella. So she was wanting to let off some energy and some steam. And so she started dancing to like an unknown audience, she said. She said that there were people in the direction that she was facing and she just started dancing, yeah. <laughs> which is awesome, <laughs> is what she told Time Magazine. She said, I love making people laugh if I can and I like making myself laugh too. She said that she was dancing to – um I haven't. I actually haven't seen the High School Musical, which I, I'm surprised because my kids watch all of this stuff all the time. But there's a dance in it called the "We're All in This Together" dance, uh-huh. <laughs> and so she started doing that dance. Um, oh, and okay. So, so Jeremy from across the street, you know, he makes a lot of TikTok videos. Uh, yeah, I, and again, oh, these are all TikTok. things. Maybe we need to get on. So he was wondering if maybe she was making a, a TikTok dance video of her own. But he said that when he saw her dancing, it just made him really happy. He says he's always really attracted to happy people and people that will, in the middle of a situation like this, where people are understandably upset and down that he likes to see when people find quote pockets of hope and pockets of happiness in times like this. So he waved to her and then she waved back to him. Then he remembered that he had this idea that him and a friend had talked about one time about like you send a girl your phone number via a drone. He said, I thought this is a perfect opportunity to do this. So he took his drone and he uh-huh. taped his phone number to it and then he flew it on over to her. Which to this- her on the rooftop? Yes. So I he flew it. a drone over to her rooftop. And this reminds me kind of of my love story of when I sent that robot over to that kid. <gasps> it is. You it's like I a mean? modern day version. Do you, if you guys yeah. haven't listened, I think it's episode four, three or four. I think and it's Jen, three. And Jen tells the story of sending – a robot a to a love- guy and what were you like third grade? Yeah, I sent a love note to a dude via a robot. So Jeremy, I get you. I feel you. Do you think that he listens to the podcast and that's where he got the idea? Probably maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. But uh you're my type, you're my kind of person, dude. I yep. get it. Um, so he so he sent the center over Jordan. So Tori said it was a holy crap kind of moment. I was like, oh my god, this is happening right now. <laughs> like when the dream was the drum was coming over to her, but she said that it was really cool. Jeremy said that the quarantine gave him the extra push to do something crazy like this because right. he was just craving human interaction so badly, like all of us are, you know. Yeah, and that uh, he probably otherwise wouldn't have 
flirted with her, you know, just because like he would have been too shy. I mean, she's a beautiful girl. He's a good looking guy, but it's just, you know, he probably would have just saw her dancing and smiled and went about his day. But anyway, in other, in another circumstance, if you were out on your roof and some guy from across the way is like waving and sending you stuff, you'd be like, fuck off. (laughs) Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like what a creep go away. But like because of the circumstance, everybody's like going stir crazy. It's like we're all craving some connection. Like I can't tell you how many neighbors are waving and being and oh, like I chatting. Know. And I'm like, okay, you guys, <laughs> I'm not all of a sudden a social person. I see. I yeah, like I'm not a social person. When I come home from like work or shows, I always just go. Why don't just go right inside? And Zach's always yeah. the guy on the front lawn talking to all the neighbors. And I'm always like, <laughs> but like now, like I'm like walking down the street, like hey. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> How's your day? <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> so, so when he flew the drone over, he actually at first it flew a little too far overhead, but Tori eventually was able to get the drone and she got his phone number. Tori's phone actually died in the middle of this so it took her an hour or so to respond so i'm sure he was probably like oh my god totally second guessing what he had done but she finally responded to him and they started texting back and forth so jeremy then somehow i'm not sure how maybe he just like found out her roommate's information maybe via facebook or whatever he somehow coordinated with her roommate katie he asked her to go set up a table and like put a nice tablecloth on it and get a bottle of wine and a dinner. And he Venmoed her money for it. But yeah. asked her to go set up a tablecloth and stuff upstairs on the roof and then asked Tori to just come up to the rooftop at 5 p.m. Oh, so, so she can went have like a there. date? Yes. So she went up there and found the table and wine and dinner, and he had it all the same setup, balcony setup too. Yeah. So across the way, they FaceTimed each other and they ate uh, while well, they ate microwave dinners for one. Together. <laughs> Isn't that so cute? <laughs> That's really cute. So then Jeremy really wanted to figure out a way, another creative way that he could meet Tori, but he wanted to meet her this time on the ground for a second date. So not a roof right. date. You know, he wanted to see her on the street. So apparently right before he had seen her and met her via the roof, he had purchased an inflatable plastic bubble <laughs> that he was going to wear because he said that he bought it. <laughs> Yeah, he said that he he had bought it because he wanted to walk around the city making people smile. I yeah. guess like, you know, before the quarantine or, you know, knowing this was going to happen, he thought it would be funny to to do something like that and right. or just nice and make people smile. So coincidentally, he just happened to have this <laughs> bubble suit like from the movie Bubble Boy. So you can imagine Tori's surprise when he greeted her on the street inside a bubble. It's really cute. There's pictures and he's like holding flowers inside the bubble. But apparently the walls were so thick that they couldn't really talk very much, but they were oh. still just like laughing and walking around the neighborhood and the whole thing was just hilarious, you know? Yeah. So since then, the two are keeping up with each other and keeping up their relationship. Jeremy says, Tori and I talk every day now. This is what he told my modern Met. He said, if we talk through text, voice messages, FaceTime, and we get along super well, and we just take it day by day. And that's what's so cool about this time is that we have all these different ways that we can communicate. Yeah. You know? So this whole 
circumstance of them meeting and everything, of course, has gone viral and the right. news has spread around the world. He said that it's strange timing to go viral, but it makes me happy knowing that our story brought some feel-good news to the world when we need it most. So I love it. Isn't that so cute? So it's really they- cute. And I, what a like amazing grand gesture. Seriously. Yeah, like even they just become friends. Like what a – how good must that have felt that this person went so far just to meet you and talk to you and, you know, and like to like make other people feel good. Like that's great. I love it so much. And the way that Tori was so on board in game, it's just like I love his bravery and I love her acceptance and I love their positivity. I love – I hope that they work or uh, even if they're just friends and I love that the positivity that they spread to the world. I think it's so great and it's so cute and I hope it gives other people the inspiration to take these steps and do things like this too. Yeah, I love it. Connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get connected, everybody. Get connected, but not by putting pornographic Easter eggs in people's mailboxes. Or do it, whatever. I would have uh. really laughed and enjoyed <laughs> that. <laughs> All right, it's my love story. I loved it so much. Should we do something dumb and something we love? Let's do it. You go first. Okay. I think something dumb is that we it might be getting to my family, the isolation. Um, oh, the isolation. Yeah. But you know, the quarantine, we're, we have it so easy. We have, you know, everything is, we're lucky. We have stable jobs. I get to quarantine with my nice family who I love, yeah. you know, like I mm-hmm. still love them. We have a good relationship. But there is just like a little edge to everything, you know, <laughs> even though I knew it was coming, when the announcement came that like school was canceled for the rest of the year, I cried. I was just yeah. like, and and my husband was just like, but we, I mean, we already knew this was like, this isn't ending in April. It's not ending in May, you know, it's going to be a while. And I was like, I know it's just, a, just knowing it. And then knowing it is like a different thing. Like just, yeah, you know, I mean, I've for a while been, oh, I'm really enjoying this break from like stand up and from being out and being able to spend time at home. But now I think I'm now I think the spending time at home is getting to me. But the thing that I love is that I feel like as this goes on, we're finding ways to kind of make time for each other and give each other like like personal time. Like this week, Ben and I both gave each other one whole day to just kind of do whatever we wanted. And That's each cool. of us, yeah, the other one took Mac. We w- walked around the neighborhood. We have a nice nature preserve in our neighborhood. Ben took him to spend time. And it was just nice to just be here by myself, feel like I had the whole time of the day. It was really nice. Um, and so I appreciate those little graces, you know, of, of giving each other time and space. What do you got? Um, okay. So something dumb, of course, is, you know, being stuck and feeling trapped and and, you know, but again, we yeah. have so much to be grateful for, but uh, these are hard times. But something that I love is that part of what's getting me through the quarantine is actually right before the quarantine happened, I started working with this. He has a show. It's called Vegan Roadie. And um, it's like a vegan travel show. His name's uh-huh. Dustin Harder. And the show yeah. is amazing. And uh, you can Google it, look it up. It's so good. And he has written several cookbooks. Uh, including one's called Epic Vegan. Delicious. It's amazing. But yeah. so he's writing his new cookbook called Epic Vegan Quick and Easy. 
And so before the whole coronavirus thing happened, we were, uh, I was able to actually cook with him in the kitchen and mm-hmm. be with him and make recipes. And it was just so much fun, just like yeah. cooking and learning from him. And then at the end of the day, I had all this like great food. Yeah. So that good. sounds amazing. But, but still, um, I am from now, from a distance. Uh, <laughs> from a distance. <laughs> I can't. I'm not a good singer. He, uh, Blue and gray. Uh, so he was – He's still sending me um, recipes so that I can test them from my kitchen here, and then I we talk about it afterwards or whatever. But the recipes are amazing. It's so your family must them. love that. <laughs> they are on board. Um, yeah, so they love it. The meals are great. The kids actually love being able to like try recipes and give me their input too. Yeah, that's um, so fun. So- it's so fun. It's so great. And you guys, when this cookbook comes out, like for now, you can get his other cookbooks. Um, his uh-huh. name's Dustin Harder, the vegan roadie. For now, yeah. you can get his other cookbooks. But I'm telling you, when this cookbook comes out, you don't even have to be vegan. It's so, so delicious and so good and, and quick and easy. And quick so, and easy. I love uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's so just fun. like a fun thing. I'm really glad that that happened right before everything got shut down because right and it's something that you can uh, like I I know that I am feeling like that creative itch you know to do something and create something and it's so nice that you have an outlet for that yeah it's ugh, it's I'm so grateful for it yeah and um, good food and and grateful for him he's a wonderful person and uh you guys watch his show you'll love him he's so he's so lovable you'll love so him. lovable love it well yeah. that's so fun well <laughs> um you know who else is lovable hey well, you, but then also oh. <laughs> our listeners. Yeah. So lovable. Love we guys. love you guys. Uh, we are so grateful for you, for you, for listening, for spending your time with us. And uh, we just want you to know if you guys need anything, if you guys need something, if you need help, reach out to us during this crisis. Yeah. And we will try to help you in any way we can, or we'll we'll gather up some dum-dums. Dum-dums helping dum-dums. That's what we're all yeah. about. Yeah. And uh, so hit us up. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Dumb Love Podcast. You can email us at dumblovepod at gmail.com. And please, you know, you got, you got time, so give us a rate and review. Uh, we would really love that. Thank you guys so much for everything. Thanks for listening. And um, stay inside and do something dumb for love. Dum-da-dum, dum-dum-da-dum, da-dum-da-dum, da-dum-da-dum, da